If you will please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. And as you turn there, I've got a question for you to consider this morning. What is your relationship to the law? Day in and day out, what do you expect the law to do for you? Or maybe it's the other way around. What do you think the law expects you to do? Is your relationship with the law like that of the psalmist, who in that great longest chapter of of the Bible, Psalm 119, cried out, Oh, how I love your law. That might strike you as odd. How in the world would somebody love the law? It seems unlikely. You might think that that type of sentiment would also be unlikely for Paul. Because what we've seen so far in his letter to the Galatians, it might not seem like Paul's got that much love for the law. What with the great lengths that he's gone to to promote and defend his law-free gospel. To claim again and again that a right standing with God comes not from works of the law, but only through faith in Christ. Two weeks ago, as we got back into the swing of things with our Galatians series, we looked some at the purpose of the law, where Paul was answering in advance some questions that he anticipated, some questions that he knew were coming. He knew that folks must be thinking that he was anti-law because of the way he kept going on and on about a law-free gospel. These questions of, well, is the law really necessary? Is perhaps the law contradictory to the gospel of grace? And as we continue this morning in chapter 3, Paul continues to unpack the purpose of the law. And he would actually be very much in agreement with the psalmist. He would cry out together with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law! But he would be adamant that our relationship to the law be what God intended it to be. I'm going to read the last seven verses of chapter 3, but really just going to focus on the first half of that passage this week. So I'd like to ask you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word, Galatians 3, 23 through 29. This is the Word of God. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to promise. This is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, 
an authoritative word. Let's pray together. God, would you come and would you help us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you, the one who inspired these very words, the one who carried along the human authors as they wrote down the very words of God, would you be our help this morning? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are soft, malleable, ready to be changed? We pray that you do all this for the glory of God and for the exaltation of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So Paul's writing this letter to the churches in the region of Galatia because of problems that the Jewish Christians in that area, the Judaizers as they've been called, problems that they're stirring up. And they're stirring up problems based on their wrong relationship to the law. Because they believe that in order to have the fullest experience of being a Christian, you've got to adhere to the law. That might be your relationship to the law this morning. Do you think that in order to have the fullest Christian experience possible, that you've got to keep God's law? Is keeping God's law what ensures that you're a Christian? Is keeping God's law what maintains your Christianity? Paul gives us some great clarity in these verses with two helpful word pictures for us that help us understand our relationship to the law. Uh, First is, is they help us understand what the relationship used to be. So that's point one in your outline. Uh, Point two, how that relationship changed. And then thirdly, how that changed relationship affects our unity together as brothers and sisters. So number one, how the relationship used to be. Look at verse 23. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming of faith. So the law, in essence, used to be our warden. Used to be our our jailkeeper. And this is very much in keeping with what Paul said just one verse prior that we looked at two weeks ago. Verse 22 says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. This this captivity in both of these verses is a necessary prerequisite for faith to come, for faith to be revealed. See, this captivity, it's a lack of freedom. That's what captivity is. This lack of freedom was necessary before Christ could come and truly and finally and fully set us free. Verse 24 is similar to 23. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Now, your translation very likely says something different, unless you have the ESV. Translations are all over the place on this one. Some say schoolmaster, tutor, 
disciplinarian. It's, it's actually, the Greek word is actually the direct word where we get our word pedagogue from, which is a word that I was pretty sure I knew what it was, but I had to look it up just to be sure. It's hard for the translators to pick one English word that captures it all because it's not really something that we have in our culture. It's kind of foreign to our culture. In, in antiquity, wealthy families would assign a male slave or servant to help with the upbringing of a son. From about age six to late adolescence, this, this person, this, this pedagogue, this guardian, whatever you call it, wasn't as much a teacher as it was a, a chaperone, a, a disciplinarian. Do this. Don't do that. Go here. Don't go here. Their, their job was to coerce the child into obedience. And often this coercion was harsh. It, it bordered on cruelty. In, in antiquity, pictures of these folks would often show them holding a rod or a cane that they used to persuade the child. See, the guardian was there waiting and watching for the child to mess up. And whap! Don't do that. That sounds kind of harsh. And at times, I'm sure it was harsh, but it wasn't altogether a bad thing. It, it was good for the child in many regards to, to protect him from his own folly, from his own foolish choices, from his own lack of discipline. It, it was a necessary function if the child was going to mature into adulthood. And Paul says... This is what the law was like. The law tells us what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. Punishes us when we fail to do it. Coerces us into obedience. But the way in which it does it is purely external. It's just like the guardian's cane or, or rod. Whap! Don't do that. And so the relationship is characterized by both a desire for reward and a fear of punishment. And for far too many Christians... That's their relationship to the law even today. It's this view of, well, I better do what it says so that God will bless me. And I better not do what it tells me not to do so that God won't punish me. For many of us, that, that's how we view the law. That's our relationship to the law. We might not say it in so many words. But when we take a good hard look at our lives and our thought patterns, it becomes clear that's what we believe deep down. 
And I guarantee you that's what most of your friends and your neighbors who aren't Christians are thinking that Christianity is. Do good things, get blessings. Do bad things, get punishment. Do more good things than bad things, come out okay in the end. That's what they think. But carefully note how Paul refers to both of these images in verse 23 and 24 of being held captive, being held prisoner by the law, and being under its guardianship. He refers to both of these things in the past tense. We were held captive. The law was our guardian. This was what the relationship was like, but only up until a point. Verse 23, until the coming of faith. Verse 24, until Christ came. And so keep looking carefully at that. This isn't just a a times have changed and we're moving on kind of thing. It's not that, okay, well, back here it was this way, but now it's something different. No, one leads to the other. It was that way, and it led to the way that it now is. We were held captive so that faith would be revealed, verse 23. The law was our guardian in order that we might be justified by faith. See, there's a connection between those two. There's a purpose there with the law's captivity, with the law's being our guardian. It's to get us from point A to point B. The one thing leads to the other. That's what makes the second thing possible, the second point this morning, how the relationship changed. See, at the end of our captivity... At the end of our guardianship, we were ready to place our faith in Christ. The captivity made us long for freedom. The harsh treatment by our guardian made us long to be justified by something else. See, our captivity under the law has shown us that we can't do it. The law's demands are higher than our abilities. The external coercion, the whap of our, gir- of our guardian can only take us so far. Ultimately, something has to change deep down on the inside. And Paul's very clear in verse 25 that a change takes place. That the relationship between us and the law that's shown in verse 23, captivity, verse 24, it's a guardian, it changes. It is no longer the same, right? It's a very hard distinction there at the beginning of verse 25, but now. Let that be a clue to you. Something has changed. It is different. It is no longer the same. Now, what is this change like? In what way has this relationship changed? Uh, Three things, and I've, I've put them there under point number two in your outline. Three things about the change. Number one, it comes from the outside to work on the inside to bring us into the family. 
right? It comes from the outside. Some of the wording in this passage just struck me as a little awkward. Verse 23 says, before faith came. Later in 23, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Then in verse 25, now that faith has come. Paul's almost personifying faith here. Right? It's almost like faith is some external power coming to us, coming for us. It's, it's like we're being acted on by an outside force. And that's not normally how we talk about these things. Normally we say things about like, oh, well, when I gave my life to Christ. Or we say, oh, well, when I decided to follow Jesus. We don't very often say, oh, well, when faith came to me. Yesterday we read Acts 9, if you're following along in our reading plan together. Faith came to Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul wasn't out seeking Jesus. Paul didn't decide to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Faith came to him. It hunted him down. Christ came to him, and as a gift of grace, faith was granted to him that he could believe. And so that's the the, the first important thing that you need to see about this change. Is that it's from an outside source. The second thing is that it's from the outside, but it's doing its much-needed work on the inside. See, the guardian can only coax and coerce externally. Whap! But then faith comes. And when faith comes, when the Spirit comes and gives the new birth... Which is what happens here, right? One of the ways in which our relationship to the law changes is that the law is now internalized. It's no longer this external rod, this external cane to whap us. Don't do that. No, now it's written on our hearts. That's part of the promise of the new birth, of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I had made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. See, the relationship changes. No longer are we working on this relationship from terms of hope of blessing and fear of punishment. The law has now been written inside our hearts so that our very desires have changed. 
It's, it's not for some hope of blessing or some fear or dread of punishment that we obey. It's because we want to. It's because now we desire to. It's because now we've got the eyes to behold the beauty of the law and the wisdom of the law. And now we can see the love that our Father has for us, and He's not holding out on us. This isn't burdensome. This is best. He knows that life works best when we follow this pattern, when we follow this instruction. And we get that now. We say, oh, (coughs) of course this is what I want to do. How could I not want to do this? How, how could I have not seen this for so long? In gratitude, now we want, to, we want to please Him. We want to be conformed to Christ our Savior. We want to look like Him. And so the change in this relationship is truly a, a miraculous work of grace on the inside. And that is very different. This, this desire that's now on the inside to obey, that is now very different than thinking that we have to obey in order to be accepted or we have to obey in order to maintain that acceptance. The third important way that the relationship changes is that we become part of the family. So, so with a prison warden, with a guardian, with a pedagogue, those relationships probably weren't great, right? I'm sure they varied. I'm sure for those who could keep their nose really clean, dot all the I's and cross all the T's, you could probably have a, a decent relationship with your, with your guardian. But that's as good as it ever gets. It's never personal. It's never intimate. It's not familial. That there's always that fear lingering in the back of my mind. Am I about to get whapped? But once faith comes, once the law is written on our hearts and our desires are changed, we're no longer under a guardian. We're under a father. Verse 26, we're all sons. And the key here is is in Christ Jesus. That's how we become daughters and sons is in Christ Jesus. Now, we will really dig into what that means along with verses 27 through 29 next week. and, And I can't wait. I originally thought this was just going to be 23 through 29 was going to be one thing, but it's just way too much. (coughs) So we're going to dig into it next week. But suffice it to say, our relationship to the law changes. We're no longer cowering in fear, waiting to get whapped. Because Jesus already has been. He took our cane. He took our rod. He, in fact, took our cross. He he paid for every single one of our transgressions. The law no longer holds us captive. Yes, it's, it's true that we still cannot live up to its demands. 
But our Savior did. Perfectly and completely lived up to all of the demands of the law for us and paid for all of our failings. And when faith comes, when faith comes and gets you and you trust him and you're united to him and you are found in him, that's what connects us to all of the benefits of what Christ has ever done, to the righteous life that he lived, <coughs> to the sacrificial, sacrificial death that he died, to his glorious resurrection on the third day. And so it's no longer a cane-wielding pedagogue that we cower in fear to, but it's a loving and merciful Father that we enjoy the embrace of. Thirdly and finally, point three in your outline. This changed relationship with the law is essential to our unity as brothers and sisters. Paul writes this letter for multiple reasons. He desperately wants folks to get the gospel right. Because he knows that when we don't get the gospel right, there's all kinds of undesirable side effects. One of the big ones, and it's seen especially in the churches here in Galatia, is a lack of unity. When we get the gospel wrong, namely when we add the law to the gospel, unity suffers, if not disappears entirely. So in Galatia, the Jewish Christians were telling the the, the pagans who were being converted to Christ, You really don't belong here unless you abide by all these laws. Especially unless you're circumcised. Now, it's hard to have unity when you're being told that you're second class and you don't belong. And so one of the big things that Paul gets to in the letter, but especially in this passage in verse 28, he's going to get to... Hey, guys, there's no more distinctions. Jew-Greek doesn't make a difference. Slave-free doesn't make a difference. Male and female doesn't make a difference to how you experience God's grace and salvation and forgiveness. And, And we will fully dig into that verse next week. But here's something that I saw this week in studying, and it was kind of surprising to me. I hadn't seen this connection before. Our unity depends in large part on our understanding our relationship to the law in the right way. Right? This is all one big paragraph that he's dealing with here. Verses 23 and 24, we need to understand how the relationship to the law used to be. That leads us to verse 28, that we are all one in Christ. Too often, we revert back to that old relationship to the law that's no longer in effect. We are very often living our day-to-day lives looking at the law and hoping for blessing and fearing punishment and therefore dotting I's and crossing T's. 
we're reverting back to using the law as external coercion. And when we do, all kinds of things get wonky. Because when we do that, we necessarily have to minimize what the law demands if we're ever going to have any success with it. Right? We've got to dumb down God's requirement, His holiness, His righteous expectation. We've got to dumb it down or we will never succeed. We know deep down that it's impossible. Another thing that gets wonky is we have to overinflate our own performance, right? Our own estimation of how, how well we're doing against God's standard. We've got to fool ourselves about how well we're doing if we're going to feel okay. But here's the big one, and here's the one that kills our unity. When we revert back to that old relationship with the law, hope of blessing, fear of punishment, I-dotting, T-crossing, we've got to look around at each other. You know, to, to see how we're measuring up. Am I doing enough? Am I being outdone? I've mentioned this before. It comes from one of our prayers of confession that we use. When we are comparing our performance with that of those around us, we're going to end up in one of two places. We're going to come away from that comparison arrogant or full of despair. We're either going to look at those around us and say, oh yeah, I got this. I'm way ahead of these other jokers around me. It looks like they don't even love Jesus. Or we look around and we see folks who are, if we're honest, they're, they're outdoing us. They're involved in more ministry things. They're, uh, their quiet times are longer. Their prayers are wordier. I will never measure up to that. There's no way. If God is grading on a curve, I am toast. There's no way that leads to unity. There's no way that leads to unity. There's no way that that leads to us being one in Christ. Because the only way to be united in Christ is to be united in our need for Christ. That we all are held captive under the law. That we all have been imprisoned. That we all have the same inability to meet its demands. That we all stand in the same need of a Savior to graciously come and rescue us. Then And only then, when we come to Christ, resting in His righteousness, depending on His sacrificial death for us, that's what unites. That's what can lead us all to say, oh, how I love your law. Because together, we've seen from the law how badly we need a Savior. We've been led together by our guardian 
to Christ our Savior. It's shown us how we couldn't do it, but how a faithful Savior did do it. And we can all together be found in Him, united to Him, and as a result, united to each other. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for the law. Thank you for the law that held us captive, that revealed our inability. Thank you for the law that was our guardian. Our guardian that ultimately said, don't go here, go here, go go to Christ. Go to the cross of your Savior where he bled and died for you after having perfectly fulfilled all the law's demands. Oh, how we love your law. But oh, Father, how we need the grace not to revert back to the old relationship of the law, not looking to it as a source of blessing or fear of punishment, but that it would again and again lead us back to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And that it would do so together that we together would see our need, that we together would embrace our beautiful Savior, walk with Him forever. We pray these things in His name and for His sake. Amen.